and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, back with you once again here on the Outsports Podcast Network, uh, and I am super excited for this week. Um, I know last week I was in a very good mood. I'm still in a fairly good mood. Um, today, mainly because um, of our guest this week, I had the opportunity to sit down with the founder of Hood Slam, um, one Dark Sheik, and I have to say, this was one that I had originally scheduled uh, before the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic hit, and, you know, plans will go awry, obviously, but a lot of plans went awry uh, with that, but I'm really glad that we were able finally to sit down and chat, and, and the conversation that we had was one of uh, pain, and but finding oneself and moving past that into an empowering um, state, a place where one can truly be who they are and b- lift other people up to be who they truly are, or to explore who they are, or just just to create healthy environments within pro wrestling, and, and hopefully that carries the, that sort of sentiment beyond the ring as well. Um, that and also it's just, if you know Hood Slam, you know there's some goofiness in there, and so uh, this is, did not disappoint at all. It's a great conversation, and we'll get to that in just a second. But um, I did want to touch on uh, one thing this week before we jump into things proper um it's been a it's been a tough week for the pro wrestling industry um both you know in the ring and for us in the journalism sphere you know obviously the uh the passing of Shad Gaspard a uh, former WWE wrestler part of uh the Crime Time tag team alongside JTG um that was a gut punch um, one that landed pretty hard for me personally. Uh, Shad was one of those guys that I gravitated to. Like the Crime Time Tag Team was a team that I really gravitated to during their uh, tenure with WWE. And you know, Shad himself, I would say, probably was more defined for what he did out of the ring than what he did in it. You know, there's we've heard all the stories in the past few days ever since. Um, ever since he was lost uh, out there um, in the Pacific Ocean during that riptide. And, um, you know, you hear about the stories of him breaking up that robbery in the Miami area. Um, just <laughs> just all kinds of heroic stuff. And, and, and you know, the, the, the image you know, in the interview with, with Sheik, uh, we touch on Kofi Kingston's title win last year at WrestleMania and how monumental of a moment that was. And one of the lasting images from the catharsis that was that moment will always be MVP and Shad Gaspard uh, embracing. Uh, with Shad visibly <laughs> emotional, like in tears, after watching that moment unfold. Um, and it's befitting that... Um, this man, who died far too young, um, went out in, in the same heroic fashion that he lived his life, and um, it's it's devastating. 
um, we here at LGBT the ring offer uh, condolences and, and and thoughts and well wishes to the Gaspard family. You know, the fact that he his last act, <clears throat> excuse me, his last act on this planet was to save his son, to make sure that his son. S-U-N, as he liked to say. Um, that he made sure that he survived that ordeal as a, as a testament to the man that Shad Gaspard was. and you know, He will be missed. And of, of course, the, the same week we had uh, Larry Zonka, long-time wrestling journalist and reviewer and pundit in some ways uh, over at 411 wrestling uh, he passed as well and that was a that was that one sucked a bit too shame shame to see um, you know especially with him his family you know we offer their con- we offer our condolences there as well um, and then all of this surrounding the season finale of dark side of the ring featuring uh basically highlighting the last days of Owen Hart. You know, 21 years ago this week, uh, at the, um, the Keel Arena in, K- in Kansas City, um, where Owen fell to his death due to what can only be described as gross neg- negligence. Um, uh, there's There was a lot of... Um, there's a lot to mourn this week, um, but at the same time, there's a lot to celebrate with Shad, Larry, and Owen, um, and that, I think that's one thing that all of their stories, all of the memories, all all of the the uh, anecdotes that have been shared about all of them over the past week have really reminded us is that. You know, death, it sucks, and it comes for us all, but you can still have a legacy worth talking about. And it doesn't have to be the, and the passing doesn't have to be the focus. Passing is just an event. It's an inevitability. But how you remember that person when they pass, like, that's the real monument to all of this. Uh. So with that being said, um, here is our conversation with Dark Cheek. Alright guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and I am very happy to have as my guest this week on the show, um, someone who in in some circles in the independent scene has become sort of a uh, queer icon, a trans icon a bit, um, even if she doesn't necessarily know it, <laughs> um, but, oh, don't worry. Um, she is a woman of many faces in the ring, but probably best know her as the founder of Hood Slam, Dark Sheik. Sheik, how are you doing today? 
Really good. That was an amazing introduction. I'm pretty excited for what might arrive um, next. <laughs> I'm Don't worry. To be here. Oh, we're excited to have you. And promise it's all it's all good. Like, oh, it... no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, no. that sounds great, but I wasn't concerned. You know. No. <laughs> good to hear. Um, so I'm just gonna come out right and say it. Like I've been a fan of Hood Slam for a number of years now. Um, I have been nowhere near the, had the chance to go to a show for a long time. Mm. That's still like on my bucket list, fingers crossed. Um, but Hood Slam as a company, um, before I even knew a lot of the personalities within it, is one that really reflects this um, defiant attitude that I think speaks to a lot of pro wrestling fans, um, and particularly uh, fans from marginalized communities. Yeah. And I, I, once you dive into the actual the people within the company, though, yourself, um, uh, AJ, like, there's so many people that really embody that persona, I would say. Is that something, um, before we, like, jump all the way back to the beginning, because I do want to talk to you a little bit about that, how much of that attitude comes from yourself or the people around you? Like, how, how much of you defines Hood Slam's ethos? Um, I mean, I'm, you know, the line for everything. If something bad happens, I'm responsible. If anything happens, I'm going to take credit. But that's, um, it's hard to say because a lot of the things that, like, I notice the decisions I make, maybe later I'll realize why I did them. And a lot of the things we did in the beginning that had to do with representation and, um, you know, what seems like really just simple ideas, but at the time we're, um, like deviating from wrestling, um, you know, including people, not being racist, but like simple things. But um, yeah, it just accidentally created this this culture that I thought we were like the assholes of wrestling for a long time, but it turns out we were like the progressive ones. So mm-hmm. To me, I think a lot of that does fit into my personality. That's I'd say both describe me well, um, but it's not like an intentional like this is our strategy moving forward. It was just, these are my friends. This is how I'd like to see it done. I've seen it done the other way so much. Um, and we can get into that more later, you know, the specifics, but very organic. I guess a lot of it's me. And just, like I said, the people who are around me, they're part of the product. I know anything anyone does, I've run by them and like talked to them about it and asked if they had any ideas. So like so much of what anybody does is them. Like I just, give them like some bullet points, you know, we agree on it. And then whatever happens, happens. Uh, I'm afraid to take too much credit. <laughs> uh, I, I, I totally understand that feeling. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it can be daunting to try and, and, and take that sort of that, that level of credit. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Hood Slam. Like, I think that that company really has obviously has spoken to a lot of people, but you know, it did come, I think the founding of it, the story behind the founding of it kind of um, speaks to that grassroots mentality that you were talking mm-hmm. about. Um, and, and I want to get to that, but I want to go even back even a little bit further. I want to know, where did Dark Sheik first discover pro wrestling? Like, what gave you the itch? Sure. Um, I think about it all the time. Like, one of my earlier memories in wrestling that I can really say I want to do that, and maybe it's the first thing I saw, I don't know but it was um, Flair and Terry Funk where 
I'm sorry, Flair and Ricky Steamboat, where Steamboat comes to the ring with his son on a horse and his wife, and then Flair comes to the ring with like 40 big-haired southern glittery women, and um, and they have this amazing hour-long match that Gordon Soley puts over so well. And then after, Terry Funk attacks him and pile drives him on a table. And it was this great, I was just like, oh, I want to do that, like for sure. Um, then something else that I think about more and more now is the raw where Shawn Michaels gets kicked in the head and falls over and leads to like a 20 minute segment of him being stretchered and taken away and all the fans are crying. And, you know, I think there was something in me that while I was sad, um, I was thinking about myself and just like, wow, look at all these people that care about that person, how much emotion they've evoked. Not just like when people are like, yeah, kick them, but like also like they care for this person. Um, in a way that you could see it ripple throughout the whole building. It's something about that like really spoke to me. And I think maybe I wanted people to care about me like that. I wanted to have that kind of effect on people. I don't know, but there's something there that really spoke to like the neglected uh, child in me. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to ask, like, why, why do you think that, that um, seeing all these people care about Sean in, during, in that moment, like speaking to you as someone who like saw that as something that that you wanted as well. Like why like why do you think that spoke to you so much? Um, I'm kind of like backwards psychoanalyzing it. So you know, just a bunch of brainstorms here. So it was maybe that you know I wanted that kind of attention, or I wanted people to care about me the same. I think some of it was how Sean like I was very familiar with when he threw Marty through the glade glass window at the barber shop, and everyone hated Sean. Like he turned on his friend and like maimed him and did this awful thing, but here they're like, people can still be able to forgive him and then care for him later. And that was kind of like something to me too. You see a lot of heroes and villains and people in wrestling switch sides all the time. But I don't know, I guess that to me and like my age group, that was maybe the first time I really could see like redemption in front of me in an organic way, not in a prepackaged way. Because I think I always knew a little like, this is a show. Um, you know, I was never like, my parents were very open with me about what was real and what wasn't mm -hmm. like, you know, Christmas creatures or whatever. Um, so I was never like on the, I was able to like appreciate that this is something that they did, like that had organic reactions to real people. No, I mean that, I think that makes a lot of sense actually, because like you think about, because I don't think when people look back at that moment, they don't really think about the barbershop. They don't think about like that two or three year span that really got him to that point and just exactly what he came back from in terms of the character changes. Um, it's, it's also very interesting that you bring that moment up because I, sometimes I reflect on, on that moment because I was also very early on in my fandom as well. And it was one of the few, even, even though like, you know, so many of us have been watching this for decades at this point. Like, you don't get that many moments of genuine empathy right. in pro wrestling. And that moment was, like, one of the <laughs> very few that I that I can really see, even if it was all an angle. Like, still, yeah. like, the, just to see the crowd actually, like, pour out this this care and this concern over, over this person. Like, that's just, yeah. yeah. You don't get that that often. That's really no oh. less and less. It used to be like 
something that I used to really like about wrestling is that you're like, oh, so-and-so finally like climbed that ladder to the top. You'd be so happy for him. And now it's like, gosh, if they get there, like, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a Dolph Ziggler situation or like Christian where it's gone the next month or even like Kofi, like it felt great. That was the last time I felt good. Like Christian, Dolph Ziggler and Kofi for someone becoming world champion. But you see how nowadays, like what that leads to. Whereas before it really was like your, you know, your name's written down forever now. And now it's like, yeah, but so is, you know, Vince Russo and no offense, but like Jack Swagger. So it's like, <laughs> you know, whatever, like cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, like, oh, God, it, that Kofi moment was just beautiful. Yeah. So I don't mean to like tail, tail off into, into this conversation, but like, yeah, like that Kofi <laughs> moment was, was like one of the best moments that I've seen in pro wrestling. Um, and it spoke to so many people. And I think that, you know, obviously for, for a portion of the audience, um, it, it was a, a, a moment to celebrate because of someone that they have watched for a long time um, finally get to the pedestal. But for a marginalized audience yeah. to see that and to yeah, see the reactions everything. from those people was, like, was just it, – it was like it took, it took you back to Sean in 95 but in a much more like authentic way i would say yeah you could tell that it was like true happiness and real feelings and this like i don't know you could you've seen kobe kingston be like the company man forever he's just at every show like always trying to do something risky which not too many people do anymore um yeah it was nice to see but you know easy come easy go yeah, unfortunately. Um, but I think Kofi is actually a, a very good um, like touchstone when it comes to um, a conversation around representation yeah. in pro wrestling as well, because like, that moment was so important for black fans yeah. watching. And, you know, I, one of the phrases that has come up in so many of these conversations that I've had on this show, off of this show, just talking to any pro wrestling fan from a marginalized community is um, – like clinging to the crumbs and so much of um of pro what pro wrestling's history has given to a lot of these communities that are just are not just like straight up cishet white dudes yeah um has <laughs> been like something that just you cling to for a very short while because you you almost feel like you already know it's going to be taken away sure. like that especially on like the major stages um i get excited if i see anyone like I'm Iranian. That's Iron Sheik, Davari, and Davari. That's it since ever that have yeah. done a real job doing this. Um, you know, like I'm thrilled to see that there's a Persian character on 205 Live. Like, you know, that's super weird. That's like the best representation we've had um, forever. And like Iron Sheik, like that was thrilling. He was world champion for a cup of coffee in, you know, 1912. But like, there should be other champions since then. That'd be great, you know? Um, I was alive back when he was champion, like, by a month, so it's kind of embarrassing. I just made myself sound that old. But, like, um, you know, and then six years later, he's Iraqi, and he's, like, doing the Saddam character. So, like, you can't really enjoy it. Um, Sabu was a point of, like, whoa, like, there's someone like me. But, like, you know, then you meet these people. <laughs> and they're worse, you know, whatever your reaction might have been. Um, so yeah, it means a lot. Like, and I could just imagine, um, how that felt for people that, 
finally got to see someone like them. Like, I still look at the clip of – I was looking the other day at the clip of Ron Simmons winning the world title. Mm. Kid that runs down to the front row and starts jumping on the guardrail. Like, like, I don't know. I look at that kid more than I look at Ron Simmons or Vader whenever I look at that clip. Like, um, and, like, the dude next to him, like, it's, again, it goes back to that authentic feeling that pro wrestling can create. You know, hopefully we can do it sometimes at Head Slam. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm positive that you create this moment at Head Slam. I've, I've seen, I've seen some of them personally. Um, I know, just from like watching, so I think well, there was one show. It might have been a, a fuck the fans a couple years mm-hmm. back, whenever y'all did your, uh, your Rumble. Yeah. With Hip Hop Harry, that match and that moment was just a thing of beauty when when we're speaking to like moments like that where you're talking about a a black wrestler with one leg triumphing over everyone Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it was just it was one of those things that you just you wouldn't see that anywhere else in pro wrestling and that's one of the things that i i love about hood slam i mean again that goes to that i love that stuff too and like hip-hop harry's amazing for those that don't know yeah he had a leg amputated when he was young. And it, I, I don't understand how he didn't win every battle royal in Royal Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that. And also, like, Harry was kind of new to Hood Slam. Like, he'd done the Stoner U pre-shows a lot, which are, like, awesome. And, like, not to be – it's not like the kickoff, like, because the crowd is hot for the pre-shows. It's the first wrestling they see. It just gave us an excuse to put wrestling a half hour earlier, like, make the shows not go an hour later, you know? Um, but he would lose to Super Beast in that over and over and keep trying to fight Super Beast, who's like 300 pounds of like, he's just Bane. He's Bane. Yeah. Um, and that was the last person he eliminated in that rumble using his crutch. Like the thing that, you know, sets him apart is what gave him his victory. And like, yeah, that was amazing um, to me. And now we also just to like, we always have like amazing moment book ended by something ridiculous. And like, why'd you do that? Um, and now in Hood Slam, there's Harry's Law that like just means he has to take the Battle Royal um, at face value. You know what I mean? Or if he's out, he's out. That's Harry's yeah. Law. Um, <laughs> we had Lady K one time, the next Rumble, eliminate Harry. He gets back in the ring. So Lady K gets his prosthetic leg and puts that on the ground when he's on the floor too. So both feet touch the ground. So while we have moments, they're balanced with like, you know, uh, Oh my God! Groans. Yeah, <laughs> but I think honestly, that's what makes Hood Slam work in so many ways, though. Um, and that's why I kind of want to let's go back to the beginning for Hood Slam because, like, while we've seen a lot of um, acceptance and advancement for for LGBTQ um, pro wrestlers in like recent years across in indies across the country and even in some major companies. Um, Hood Slam's been kind of preaching an, an attitude like that or towards yeah. that for a decade at this point. Y'all just celebrated a 10-year anniversary last month, which so we, congrats, by the way. Thanks. It was, it was really fun to celebrate that um, in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's amazing that we – I never thought we'd make 10 years. Um, well, not that I never thought it. It just always seemed so far away. Mm-hmm. We are. Um. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. You were saying. Oh no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, so, walk me through where did the where does Hood Slam originate from? Like, how how does the the kernel pop up in 
in 10 years ago Sheik's head to start this company that's going to like become a phenomenon. Accidental phenomenon. <laughs> There's a lot of things that kind of aligned the first one. I'll try and tell them all without like taking, eating up so much time. Um, I used to work at a cannabis club when I was like nine. I don't know how old I was, but um, I was working at a medical marijuana dispensary in like 2006 or seven. I always thought it'd be cool if we could burn during Medicaid at the time during a show. Um, so I was trying to pitch a show where we could do that. I had all these like, you know, the Doobie Brothers or the Blunt Brothers and against like DEA and stuff like that, that kind of was reused when the real opportunity came a few years later because they shut that down. They didn't let me do it. Um, I had gone to Florida for a year in a misguided attempt to like further my wrestling career. And I just learned really more about Florida than anything else. Um, and uh, now I came back just so disillusioned and like not in a great place mentally, but in a place where I just had given up in a lot of ways. I saw like what the future led for me in wrestling. So I was like, I'm not gonna do what everyone else is doing anymore. I'm just gonna do what I want and stop trying to play that game. So I started doing goofy things in the ring, like pretending to gig. Like when someone like put me in the torture act, I'd be like gigging a bunch. And like, um, I started like doing this hand in the air and then the other one and like keeping a and I started doing this. I saw it in the background of Street Fighter. And just, um, for some reason, I just started doing like Beth Phoenix corner entrance a lot too, like the back roll. It's all these things that amused me during matches, um, like Shawn Michaels Hogan selling. <laughs> just all this goofy stuff. So I stopped caring. It started was catching on, and like with the other wrestlers, they started gigging too. Um, and then somewhere around this time, a friend of mine who was in a band told me that he was doing rock shows and. Uh, venue like not a venue an underground warehouse in Oakland and if I ever wanted to do a show there I could I said okay fine I'm just gonna do it and you know we I was all these rookie wrestlers um and I had a big deal of like what I didn't like in indie wrestling and it was how it was stop and go so much like and how it was trying to be WWE but like we're in a gym like in this case, we're just like in a steel and wood warehouse. Like there's graffiti. It's pretty cool, really. But, you know, we don't have glitz and glamour and pyro and lights and, you know, an entrance ramp. We're just walking like from the bathroom to the people. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just embraced all that. And then I also had this idea of like, I don't want to have to tell people like, um, you know, that there shouldn't be a Samba Simba <laughs> or that we're not gonna do the Mexicals. I just want to be on the other side of that. It's not a lesson or a growing thing. We're just gonna, we're not gonna like do change. We're just gonna be the other side and not have that conversation in the beginning. So that meant that like Otis the Gimp who was pansexual was like our number one baby face. And um, just other, you know, I could be there and be chic but it wasn't about me being Middle Eastern. Actually it was about me being a zombie pretty early. Um, and it just would like, a lot of that was kind of the direction. And I asked every wrestler, like, you can't do the gimmick you're doing on the indies because I hate going to the show Friday and seeing you team with your opponent Saturday that you're back in a blood feud with Sunday and like all these towns are an hour away. It's the same 40 people everywhere. And like, God, just be someone else. Cause I can't, I don't want to like fight all that. 
and deal with all that. Like, let's have continuity. So a lot of those ideas, then my idea that I want it to be a concert, not people sitting down and looking at their phones or like, you know, reading the newspaper, whatever people did back in 2010. Um, I wanted them to be like a concert. I wanted them to specifically, something I saw at concerts, hand us blunts, like you do at a rock concert, someone on stage, and somehow the venue lets everyone get away with it. Suddenly everyone in the audience is smoking, right? Yeah. Do that. Let's be that. Um, which is something we've accomplished now. Like I come to the ring, well, you know, a few months ago, and people would hand me blunts, joints, drinks, throwing cash at me. Um, and I'm just done my entrance. Like I've already made like 60 bucks. <laughs> Stoned. And like now if I suck, they know it's because they got me high. They can't even be mad at me. So it's like the perfect scenario, um, let alone that there's like a thousand people there. So I don't know if that answered where we started, but <laughs> no, I mean it, it pretty pretty much does. Like it was a very interesting, like how like the, the mindset of the show itself from the very beginning was really patterned to be the complete opposite of yes. of what you experienced on the indie scene yourself. Yeah. Um, and the one thing I really like about what what you said there is like taking all of these these guys and and uh, or these men and women um from the independent scene out there on on the, on the west coast why is out there i'm on the west coast too i don't know why i'm saying that anyway <laughs> um take all these all these west coast workers and getting them to kind of embrace the creativity of coming up with something else to do in your company because it's, it's honestly, I think in some ways that's kind of led to the the viral nature of it in some ways. It's like one thing that, one reason why I love using Hood Slam to introduce people to pro wrestling, independent pro wrestling, anything like that sometimes is because of how outlandish the characters are in Hood Slam. Like the fact that I could, you have like the Stoner Brothers like competing against Ryu and Ken or like you have Link and, and yeah. Cammy and like all the, you have like the end with the video game crowd. You have the end with like, like whatever Serial Man is supposed to whatever be. Whatever Serial Man is. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's, and then of course, Drugs Bunny, I yes. think is the one that is like the most accessible. It's like, yeah, it's, it's Bugs Bunny, but drugs. Yeah, low-hanging fruit, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, but it, it, it grabs people. And then whenever they watch the show, they see everything else that it has yeah. in a way. And that's one reason why I really like Hood Slam for that. And I really like the attitude of forcing, of like, not necessarily forcing, but, you know, pushing people to explore other avenues of their, of character for themselves. Um, ha how adamant has that been continuing on as Hood Slam has uh, gone down the line? Um, less, because I used to make everyone do something different. Now, like, People don't want to like yeah 10 years ago i could get brian cage to dress up like an american gladiator and call himself blazer blaze but now he's like no i'm tna champ so that's not happening <laughs> <laughs> might be you know what i mean so yeah um i've changed but for the most part i think there's still an eagerness maybe it's something i haven't pushed as much because i've learned that it's more the storylines than it is the characters sometimes like you know like drugs bunny is great but then 
it's the story that drugs money takes that you know it doesn't matter that he does blow the whole time <laughs> it's like about redemption or like true love or climbing the mountain still so i think it's something that when we i was actually this year because it's our 10 year anniversary i had like this i'm just we're spilling the beans now i had this like grand plan it was very comic book crossover it was gonna like include all the dimensions of hood slam there's been like four or five we're gonna bring them all back and the characters from like blood slam universe a bunch of new people i was gonna give a bunch of people like new characters for the first time in a while to do this like epic year-long crossover once we got past the anniversary show yeah like my you know that was the bookend and now i can just go nuts with new stuff and uh it got put on hold but it's something i want i was interested in getting back into that we pray mm-hmm. from for a while just because i don't know like let's just let chris bay come in and be chris bay you know, like he's really good. Um, or Eric Watts, I get to be Wattska. He really took to that. Found <laughs> out Eric Watts will dress like Oscar, and he loves it. Like I gave him the robe, so I was like, "It's just yours now. Like keep it." Like I, you know, I'm just gonna think of you when I wear it anyway, and I don't wear it that much. <laughs> so so good. It happens. Or like when Peter Avalon was Ruby Riot, like he really took to that. I could tell, like he wanted to shave his mustache just to like be it 100 percent, but. Yeah, he's not going to do that. It's a great mustache. Um, you know, it comes up here and there. Yeah. I think that was his idea, though, by the way. I was just enjoying the that found out with Watska and Avalon. <laughs> it's actually, you know, Femmed Out is a very good place to go next because I think that that show um, is one that has really come to not necessarily define Hood Slam entirely because I still feel like the the main Hood Slam shows really, like, speak to what hood slam the origins of hood slam in that way but femmed out is one of those concepts that i is such a breath of fresh air for pro wrestling in a lot of ways like the fact that um that y'all are out there like encouraging people to like basically like look at gender in in a completely different way and and understand gender expression in a better way and really just trying to make people comfortable with with the exploration of that is a, a really awesome to see um what led into the idea for femmed out and yeah yeah sorry um one thing that led to femmed out i remember specifically thinking you know besides being like a closeted trans woman at the time um, there was also the idea actually you know a confused trans woman <laughs> but there was the idea that we were doing these theme shows and being video game characters and whatnot. And I remember kind of thinking that I wanted, like Brittany Wonder would always do cross play. Like she would dress as Deadpool or Duke Nukem. I remember thinking about that. Um, Cause like one show, we literally had like no female characters at a themed event because Brittany and I think maybe Shelly Martinez was like Batman. And like everyone was, I was like, you know, we should have more. And I was like, no one ever does crossplay the other way. No one's ever like <clears throat> embraced that side of it. So I was like, we should do that. And I immediately was like, I want to be Xena Warrior Princess. I'm going to do that at a show soon. And then I was like, maybe other people want to do this. Maybe they don't. I'm just going to put the idea out there and say we're going to do it. And whoever's into it can be in it. Whoever's not, you know, that's fine. But just everyone was into it. Everyone was like, yeah, that sounds fun. Like, I don't want to miss a hood slam. So 
And the audience too. It was the first show we charged. We used to charge ten dollars. We used to be free. And then we were like five bucks. Then we were ten bucks. So it's the first show we went to twenty dollars was Femmed Out, and it sold out. Um, and it really just like immediately answered a lot of concerns for us about so many things. But I just remember thinking like, this is good. And even if it's not for everyone and it doesn't like do well. The people that do come to a show dressed as a woman for the first time, maybe they've always wanted to come to a show dressed that way. They didn't feel comfortable at a wrestling show doing that. Like, it's worth it to them. Like, it'll be so much worth it to that group. And it turned out to be, you know, it's one of our biggest shows every year. And now it seems like, of course, like it's femmed out in February and like, you know, and people wrestle in dresses all the time. It's not like a punishment. Um, because that always blew my mind that you do loser wears a dress. But it's like, you know, 51% of the population or more like wears a dress, maybe not all of them, but you know, is seen, is attached to that stigma. And you're saying that they're losers because now this wrestler has to dress like them. You know, and it's like, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's alienating a lot of your audience. And I was like, no, like winner wears a dress. Like let's go the <laughs> with it. Um, and not make, you know, anyone that wears a dress feel stupid for, for seeing wrestling, like, you know, seeing their favorite wrestler ashamed to look like them. Mm -hmm. It was just something that always, like, um, irked me. So I corrected it. (laughs) (laughs) The power of wrestling. Yes. Like so many other things, correcting. Um, You know, standing. I didn't invent standing, but, like, I'm really proud that that's something that I see everywhere all the time now. Um, I, I didn't used to see that at wrestling shows, but I was like, I want this to be a concert. And no one just all sits on like maybe for an orchestra, but like for a rock concert, people are on their feet. Um, so that was my attitude moving forward. And I remember um, talking to the dude from Beyond about it. And he was like, how come you have everyone stand? And I gave him a bullshit answer at first. I was like, oh, because I don't want to rent chairs. <laughs> I give my secret away. Yeah. Well, okay, fine. Like, I'll tell you the real reason. It's because it keeps the energy up. People aren't looking at their phones when they're standing. They're more... Um, invested in what's happening in front of them and like feel more of a need to be alert on their feet. It's, I don't want to use the word less comfortable, but like, um, they're more alert. <laughs> yeah. But they won't just pull a hat down and nod off. Yeah. There's more the audience, all, you know, like, yeah. great, you're watching this wrestling show. Like, you know, I love Chikara, but I've seen like where there's just someone there with like their hat down taking a nap. And there's this amazing like twisting arm drag spinning thing. Like, I want to, like, elbow the guy and tell him to wake up. <laughs> People are tired, you know. Um, that happens at Hood Slam, too. They just sit in the back. You know, there's chairs around the back and by the projector in the front. Um, but yeah, now I see that standing thing all over. Like, and it's amazing. I love it. You can see people enjoying wrestling more, and the wrestler's able to do more because they're enjoying the reaction. They're getting more. It snowballs. It's great. You know, corrected. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I am curious. You, you mentioned it um, earlier with um, kind of being a, with the Femme Doubt uh, show concept and like kind of speaking to yourself as a, um, as a, a trans woman before coming out as such. Um, how much of like that concept kind of helped you find yourself like within Maybe not necessarily like the company or the industry for yourself, just you. Like how much did that kind of speak to you as someone who knew there was a different 
gender expression within yourself? It helped me a lot because I, I got to go in front of people dressed how I wanted to be and they, you know, were cheering that, you know, it's crazy. You don't expect that. Um, you know, it was the same like when I came out as trans, I thought I might have to stop wrestling. But it was actually the opposite effect. I feel like people like me now more than ever. And I think some of that is because they can see the real me finally. Um, and yeah, it really helped me like make that, um, like really look at that part of me. You know, I think it's something that I was talking to my partner the other day. Like I tell people sometimes I didn't know till two years ago, but also I have like memories of being like 13 or seven where I totally knew. Um, I just kept putting it aside because I didn't think it would be accepted. So when I can go in front of a crowd dressed as Xena and everyone cheers me and likes it, uh, maybe not everyone, but majority, or at the very least, they're just not throwing shit at me and attacking me. Um, yeah. It means a lot, you know, and I can still do what I love. That means a lot too. Like, even like I said, coming out, like I thought I'd have to give up wrestling for a while, um, maybe permanently, but yeah. Great. Why did you why did you think that you might have to give up wrestling whenever you came out? Yeah. Um I don't know if this is like other people's experience too. Everything everything I speak about being trans is very much my own experience, by the way. Yeah. <sighs> wow, you know, I don't know, you know, if you have like a friend and you hear this conversation, you're like, wow, all trans people trans people are fucking nuts. Like, no, it's just me. Um, but <laughs> I had this feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I had this um this feeling that people would reject me um if they saw the real me. So I kept putting up these masks where, you know, I missed that or the other. Or sometimes literally wearing a mask for two years of a robot, which I didn't notice at the time, but probably spoke a lot to how I felt. My robot mask for two years. Um gosh, tough stuff to like really process. I don't want to say it wrong. But there's one thing I was worried about that all my friends and family and everyone that knew me would think that after I was truthful, like I revealed this truth about myself, they would think that I was deceiving them this whole time. And that the person that they had been friends with or known like wasn't really me. It was like a complete fabrication. When really it was like mostly me, just at least the parts that like mattered to me, like it was a lot of me and, um, you know, if I can separate the bad behavior and throw that away, that's great. But <laughs> no, I have to like own that it was me struggling, but it was a lot of me like trying to make real connections. I was worried that my friends would be like, oh, they lied to me the last 20 years or whatever years, 10 years. And they were deceiving me this whole time. And maybe I projected that even further to like the wrestling audience where I was afraid they would feel the same way or that I would just get, you know, um, negative reactions from people. And it does happen at the show. It's like, you know, someone will come to the bar at the Metro and be like, when do the women wrestle? And they'll be like, Sheik was just out there as a mermaid. Like, no, no, like, you know what I mean. They'll say it in a different way. Like, that's a very small minority. Um, but I thought it was going to be a big majority. So I was fearful. Yeah would like also see me like I don't know you read all the shit that turfs right and then 
you're afraid that that's the people that are like your fans for some reason, even though they don't react that way, or you're just afraid that you're going to lose people. But what I decided in the end was that the people I did lose were never, I never had them in the first place. And the people that I kept, you know, I knew I could have even more faith in moving forward. So. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's a very awesome attitude to have about that. And, and it's one that doesn't, come easy you know no. for for many people no. so mm. i had to fight myself a lot because i'm <laughs> i think too much i'm in my own head and i'm my own worst enemy and like whatever bad thing could happen like i've thought about it 10 times and it it usually doesn't <laughs> <laughs> and if it does i'm like oh i saw this coming like i dodged this way like i knew that was gonna happen <laughs> like i played <laughs> head 10 times so, <laughs> You know, it's weird, but I go through it all. Yeah. Fix it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm honestly happy that you were able to, to come to a place where you felt comfortable being able to, like, be out publicly as your true self in that way. And, you know, we talked about the 10-year anniversary of, of Hood Slam last month. A couple months back was the anniversary of you coming out. Yeah. publicly in the ring as yeah. as trans <laughs> um what was the your feeling before that moment and and after that moment like once you saw how the crowd reacted yeah uh i felt a lot of things and like looking back it's i'm trying to like pull which and what and order them <laughs> i remember i had told the hood slam locker room and maybe the glam locker room that day and hood slam the week before because I felt like I'd been taking hormones for like three or four months by that point. Mm. I was like, I'm doing this forever, and like a lot of these changes are going to be permanent and visible. And you know, let me get ahead of that. <laughs> kind of was my feeling. Um, and also, I just don't like you know having secrets. I like to tell people what's on my mind. Um, so it went well in the locker room both times. And then I was like, I remember texting a friend who knew before other people and they were supportive. Like every time I told other people, I told this friend in like a wrestler, but I'm not going to embarrass them now, but they were very supportive. And they were like, no, let the locker room know. Like, this is good. I'm like, no, let the glam locker room know. And I was like, I think I'm going to talk about it today in the ring. And they're like, you should like do it. You, I support you and all that. And um, I knew that everyone had my back, but I actually didn't even know I was going to be on a show that day. I was planning on taking the day off and like a bunch of people just canceled for glam. They asked me to be on it. And then I'm like talking to Lady K about the match you're about to have. And I was like, I think I'm to say this thing at the end. And she was like, yeah, that's good. You should like, or something like that. She was like, cool. Like very, like not a big deal about it. Um, so I felt like pretty confident going into it. And then as I was doing it, I was scared. I was shaking a little bit. I don't know. You can't really see it on video, I don't think, but I definitely was shaking and nervous and like all these things. But it was nice to have it done, but it's scary on the other side. It's like, okay, now everyone knows. And I don't know. I was kind of waiting for everyone to be like, also, like, along with all those scary feelings, I also had this feeling that everyone's going to be like, yeah, duh. Like, we were waiting for you to figure it out. <laughs> forgot yeah. kind of like waiting for that a lot <laughs> no one ever brought that up 
which is honestly nice because sometimes like those kind of that was my experience with um with coming out um as bisexual a little bit with my mom um back in georgia um where Mm. she like she sort of called me out on it not in a bad way like one night like i was down like i was like i was i was like going to a drag show drank way too much my mom picks me up from my friend's house the next morning and basically um, effectively like I, I told her i was at a drag show and like she's cool and everything but just not her scene obviously sure. and she's some <laughs> she's like you know it's fine if you like boys and i'm like oh. i wasn't having that conversation but <laughs> all right i feel called out a little bit <laughs> I mean, it's nice to hear, but probably the moment you're like, why did they say that? (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't get any of that. No, I did the opposite. People calling me weirdo or something. I remember that. A friend of mine, they were like, so you're just like dressed like a woman now or like what? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, weirdo. And I was like, okay. Like, I didn't react like that when you came out, but (laughs) like yeah. Um, but I like that story a lot. By the way, I also was born in Georgia. Oh, you... really? Yeah. It's funny all this stuff you remember after, like, you know, now that I'm on the other side of things. I remember when I moved into the Victory Warehouse, uh, um, Brian, who I, you know, I don't fuck him, whatever, I'll bust him out. Brian, who's the guitarist from the band, was like the name on the lease there. And he was like, no women can live here. And I was like, okay, well, cool. Um, and then, like, you know, whenever he had a girlfriend, they could live there. It was fine. He was full of shit. Hypocrite. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've seen the Hood Slam band. He's the guy with guitar. There you go. <laughs> you know. Not going to watch this. He, he doesn't watch any show that I didn't pay him to be on, so I'm not. I don't feel like ah, I see. Really just throwing him in the dirt. Like, <laughs> you know. It's wrestling, so. He belongs in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, so what was it? What, what did you like? Feel like almost a, a one eighty in the, the like the the shows after coming out, like in terms of like that self confidence or um, like kind of a, a new definition of of your character, or just even like for yourself, like going to shows after coming out last year. It's a lot because even though I come out in the ring, like it's still different to like you know i'm wearing like colorful wigs and bright costumes like when you're just like trying to go to the store like sometimes i just want to wear jeans and a hoodie and i'm not wearing makeup you know yeah explain to like these people i see three times a week my life yet so like there's still like you know reservations and hesitations at times that i'm always trying to power through um but yeah there's a lot more confidence i kind of decided when I wrestled Mansoor in that August show, and I wrestled Hayashi at Stoner U and as a Virgil Flynn tribute match, those are like on YouTube, so I mentioned them. Those were like my goodbye to that cheek, that version, um, which no one really knew. But I had, since like November or December, I think December, or at least January, decided like, I'm always wrestling in female presentation at Hood Slam. Um, and no one really questioned it. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to look like this from now on to the locker room. They're like, cool, I like it. <laughs> um, it did, it felt better to like, and like I said, I don't like to hide anything, but I don't know how it affected my confidence day to day. I'm always confident in the ring to some extent. 
I feel like I've, I know what I'm doing and like, you know, the way like, I'm just gonna sound really like whatever, braggadocious, maybe, bombastic. Bombastic bark, audacious Billy or some shit. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> something like that, Bob. Um, I feel like, you know, birds fly, fish swim, sheep wrestles. Like, it just happens. <laughs> um, I always feel confident when I'm in that setting. Like a ring is a home for me. And I can, I can go to any ring I've ever seen and lie down in it and take a nap. Like, I can't do that at people's houses I've known for years. Or like, you know, my family's house now. Like, I can't do that. I don't feel comfortable there. Any ring, anywhere, any country, like that's home for me. Um, so my confidence in the ring is um, permanent. Mm. Well, uh, let's see when I come back. Now I'm like older and I want to wrestle in a year. Let's see how I feel in a year about that. You know, whenever well, I get back in the ring. But hey, the good, the good thing though is that like you're letting your body rest up. So I think it's getting worse. I don't oh yeah, <laughs> starting to feel <laughs> feeling everything. There's something like to when you're when you're in the shit, as I'll describe it, like it's war. When you're in the shit, you know, you get used to it, like having never been in war, but if you're like in a situation where you live in loud noises all the time, like I live on Sam, Sam Street in Oakland, and it's really loud outside. And then when I go somewhere quiet um, and there's a loud noise, like it's jarring to me, but it wasn't over here It's because it stands out. So I'm, it's kind of like that where I'm bumping, you know, I'm doing a show every Friday in Oakland and then I'm traveling to like somewhere Saturday, Sunday, and I'm in the airport Monday and when I'm like home Tuesday through Thursday, like I'm in the shit, I'm used to it. And once I stop, now I like stub my toe and like, I gotta sit down. Like I put on some shoes that like felt tight and I was like, oh, well I'm not walking this week. Like my <laughs> foot hurts now, um, shit like that happens. So I'm hoping, I don't know. I found a stoner U-ring. I went there when no one else was there and took like 30 handstand bumps in a row. And, like, my neck was sore the next couple of days, but, like, I was really happy I did it. So there's that, like, I have to just be bumping every week again or I'll be sore. Um, yeah. Weird. <laughs> Makes sense, weird. though. Yeah. You know, my ankles aren't being, like, stretched as much as they usually are. So next time I try to do a German where my feet turn, like, inside out, maybe it won't go so well because I haven't done it. <laughs> well, we'll keep the fingers crossed. because <laughs> hopeful. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, this is just fantastic. I, I have, we're getting near the end, end of our time here, but I do have two more questions for you. Sure. Um, one, you have to tell me about Nurse Ratchet. Um, yeah. Cause I that is, yeah. <laughs> yeah I've, I've, I haven't wrestled them in a match yet, but I've been around a lot and i can tell yeah. you because <laughs> <laughs> nurse ratchet popped up on an uncanny show uh last year oh, yeah, and she killed it and yeah. and i just wanted you to know if you could pass a message along to her um and let her know that i thought that that show was awesome and that many many people continue to sing her praises as well on this show and others yeah, I, um, you know, it's a great character. I'm a huge Silent Hill fan. Um, 
you know, she also wrestles in heels like I've done at times. Very impressive. Not a lot of people can do that. Very. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not sure how much I want to break kayfabe or how much I already have and don't need to say more. But the Uncanny Show, amazing. Nurse Ratchet's wrestled in New York, but Dark Sheik hasn't. Like, yes. Mind how far she's gone in her short career. And we have very different styles, which I really appreciate. Because usually a Sheik, I'm like all over the place. Then you see Nurse Ratchet, and they're very like, slow and methodical but it's not boring it like really builds tension that's my take on it like it you know like you know they're going to move eventually and it's, you're just waiting for that like in that simpsons like that little guy hasn't done anything yet you know he's gonna um like that's what nurse ratchet really builds and then it's like so prop heavy i love like props and i think that that's great in wrestling it doesn't always fit as chic but nurse ratchet has the blessing to do whatever, you know, pulls out arms and feet, and gloves, of course, very popular. You know, a mandible claw. That would make me throw up. Deke would throw up to, like, mandible claw someone in the mouth and then the butt and then lick the glove. Ah, but Nurse Ratchet can do it, and that, like, blows my mind. <laughs> um, real tough. <laughs> no, no hyperbolic or whatever. God. Um... I just love the style, and I'm also just impressed, like, because she's always got the bangs in the hair and is wearing a mask, and, like, hard to, hard for me to see, like, in what I'm wearing. Um, <laughs> just a great character, and I think people talk about, you know, kayfabe is dead, but I've never seen Nurse Ratchet break kayfabe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, this might, sorry. I'll go ahead and be like, this is probably as close as that's ever happened. He's <laughs> 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 like, fuck it, you know, I think, whatever, but, um, Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think that the character is just so much fun. And like their recent, like little, like cute romance with Buggy Nova. I don't know if you saw that at Glam. If you haven't, you can go to like, I don't know, some wrestling streaming thing and watch it. You know, <laughs> they're busy plugging uh, someone else right now. So I'm not going to plug them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they had this cute thing with Buggy Nova over like a year where. I don't know. It's just fun to see in wrestling again. And like, even though it's like zombie lesbian nurses, like kind of like the drugs bunny thing, there's this thing that gets you in. Then like the actual flow of it is what takes you away um, for me. Mm. I don't know if there was any specific questions. I could probably answer them. <laughs> my, you know, quick reaction to. No. Honestly, I think that's a good place to leave it. Well, that that's a very good insight into, into, into her mind there. Oh, and uh, she came to the ring in a body bag first, Darby. Oh! <laughs> she was just doing that for like three years before you decided to do it. I wouldn't be surprised if she starts riding a skateboard to the ring. Just saying. Uh-oh. Hopefully, wrestling can get back in California. We'll see if what happens. <laughs> oh, gosh, good point. I don't know. And also now I'm picturing her in the high heels riding the skateboard down. <laughs> mess that's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> god i can't wait yeah uh, so Build, planting seeds for next year yes always planting impressions yeah Slam comes back in 2021 is my current impression in case you're wondering yeah i was i was gonna i was gonna ask you actually because um like i know some of the more recent uh stuff that's been put out on Slam's youtube channel like there was like you were very like being very introspective and very hesitant about 
whether you, you think the company is going to run anything for the rest of this year. And you said it here as well, 2021 yeah. is what you're thinking. Um, do you think that is anything I know California, I know Governor Newsom mm -hmm. said today that they were looking at bringing pro sports back without fans in June, mm -hmm. or at least trying to roll out a phase one of that. Um, obviously, wrestling has been happening in other places. Um, there are many arguments about whether that should be taking place or whether it shouldn't out there. Oh, and so, but um, I don't know. Do you think if if you were able to hold a Hood Slam show without an audience, would that be worth it to you? Like to have a hood, because like so much of the so much of the show itself, like it seems like y'all feed off of the fans more so than so many other wrestling promotions do. Yeah. I literally do it. Like you see my entrance where I reach in the air and I pull it down. Yeah, I'm eating the energy in the room. We're consuming. Like, so yeah, it'd be it'd be worth it. We've done some stuff from Stoner U. Like we can already do that. Um, it'd be worth it in that it's content and that people like it. You know, and that's but it wouldn't be the same. Um, you know, we're a live show and we're about connecting with our community and we can still pull that off to some extent, but what it, is it really hood slam, you know, or is it like quarantine slam or is it, you know, glam 1.5 or something? Is it, it's not the same to me. It's worth it. I'm doing it. I actually have not wrestled. I haven't touched anyone in wrestling since March 6th. And even that match, I was wrestling serial man and Anthony, uh, sexy devil, Anthony Butabi, handsome devils. So like I really didn't even wrestle that. <laughs> um, like wrestling pro wrestling in February have I had like, tried to wrestle someone hard in training or on film and I don't think I'm going to but other people at Stoner you have like the Stoner brothers have done some things lightly and I think it's good I like filming it I think that what we have now is an opportunity to present it in a new way that I've always wanted to um, I don't want to like shoot my wad because then you'll just see like you know, other people standing in their show, and it's great, but I want to do it first, so I'm not going to tell you what exactly those ideas are, but you've seen already, like, the, the Mortal Kombat x-ray people put on super kicks sometimes, like, that's a great example of stuff that is entertaining, and, like, that one's been done, but we can do things in wrestling now that we don't have to do this one live continuous take, and that is, like, part of what makes wrestling special. Now that that's gone, let's lean into the other things that make wrestling special. Let's I had some silly match with Super Beast. Um, it's on our YouTube. It's like a small I saw that one. <laughs> yeah, it's a little example of what I mean. You know, like the first week, let's just do something on the fly. But like, thank you, by the way, for the chuckle. Um, we can do so many new things now with this different way of presenting. And like, shit, Money in the Bank was a good example. You know, I, fuck, I love and hate that company, so I'll just leave it at that. But that was great entertainment um, for the most part. And I think that's an example of the way things can go and get better and improve and still be entertaining. Maybe we can connect with people in a new way. Yeah. I mean, I will say this much, like I did not expect to have uh, Bambina versus Megazord hit me so much in the heart. Like the way like that, that match played out, like to have, I don't know, like the, what was it, the 420 video where, we had Bambina yeah. in the dugout like that I was like you go and expect you see like Bambina versus Megazord 
and you just think this is going to be completely ridiculous. Yeah. And then you get moments like that. And it's something you spoke to earlier about Hood Slam. It's like you have these moments of, of triumph, of empowerment, but then they're juxtaposed right next to this moments of just like goofball. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just, a, I don't know. Like if, if that's like the direction that things can be moving right now, whenever you can't have shows, like I, I think it's, I don't know. It works for me. I think it works for a lot of other people too. So. I think so. We're all just storytelling. Pro wrestling is, you know, uh, it's just stories. We happen to use a ring, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we use a baseball field and we can still tell a story that involves, it's still pro wrestling, you know? Um, people get hung up on, is it art or not? I'm like, I don't see how you can. Like, they're like, oh, it's fake. I'm like, okay, like, so is Forrest Gump, but it's tight. Like, let's just enjoy this stuff, <laughs> you know? Uh, but there's, by the way, that was all Bambino. I didn't have anything to do with that. Like all the mm. stuff with Karen, all the therapist is all of them. Like whatever the other people are doing, until this new stuff that I'm about to put out um, is like all just them doing their own thing. And now I'm like trying to take all these pieces and make them into something new that, you know, I have to edit it so it won't be out for a while. But it's coming. It's definitely coming. And it's a new direction, but it like builds off the characters you've already seen and the current circumstances we're in. So hopefully people like it, and it's some of what I'm talking about. Um, where it's real stuff next to surreal. That's something in Hoodslam that I, it works for me. I don't know if it's like a rule in writing or what, but something that I love to do, and I'm able to say succinctly, is I like bizarre characters in real situations, and I like real characters in bizarre situations. So you take a serial man, and then you put him like, in a love story where he has a crush on Brittany Wonder. And then you take, you know, I, I love Virgil Flynn, so I'll use him as an example, rest in peace. Then you have him, like, you know, fighting for tag titles against aliens, and, like, they're throwing water and, like, you know, because signs or something like that. Yeah. Seeing the real with the absurd in ways that, in both directions. And I, I really enjoy that in writing, you know. Once I have, like, a straight-laced character, like, okay, now how do I break them? <laughs> Once I have like a goofy character, I'm like, okay, how do I make them a real person? And it's just that like just taking that path back and forth um, is something I like to do. And sometimes it's just like, okay, this character has a story. They're born, they live, they die. You know, and they're away now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like taking characters and putting them in situations that are like not necessarily of themselves. Like that's a, I mean, that's the, the ground the foundation of like a, a growth story arc in a lot of ways so yeah. it totally makes sense why the hero's journey right yes exactly <laughs> yeah exactly which um, you don't ever get to see where like the medusa is like ah, i guess i'll like you know start a family now like how do i do that without ever looking at them like that's a story too that's absurd but you know in real places like <laughs> um, it's absurd but it has a message like it, ha it has something to say what if Medusa's like eating yogurt? That's alive. Does it turn to stone when they look at it? I don't know. I'll explore this story. Um, sometimes the centaurs like probably got to like cut their toenails and like, you know, that's not fun to watch like um, a person do it. Maybe it is, but when you're like, how does like this crazy thing like comb their hair and brush their teeth? Like, I want to, <laughs> I want to know that. So. I don't know what the fuck's wrong with me, but that's what I'm going for in my head. <laughs> well, I don't know if there's anything really 
anything wrong with that. It, it sounds mm. it sounds exciting to me. Um, last question for you. I lied. I had three. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. And good. Get three or whatever. But it's <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're enjoying yourself. Like mm. I'm, I am too. This is this is rad. Um, so us at Outsports and SB Nation, we've been doing these theme weeks um, with no sports going on. And um, this week's theme, oddly enough, I did not schedule this out to have you on, but is underdogs. And I feel like this, my own perception, I look at like your story and Hood Slam's story as like a, a clear definition of an underdog story within pro wrestling. I like that, yeah. I'm I'm curious as to like it seems like you agree, but I do like do do you like so if you agree like what do you think def, like defines you as that as that underdog and and what do you think is the the lingering spirit that like keeps the the company um, moving forward and succeeding despite like having that sort of status at the beginning? A lot to work on there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The reason I was like, oh yeah, a lot of times I describe like it's a hurricane. There's a lot happening on the outside. I'm on. I'm in the eye. So like, what happens? I can kind of see through everything, but like, you know, I'm just focusing on keeping pace with it because it's moving and I have to stay where I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, we. I think it's because we started shows as free. We did things like no kids, and we're gonna like embrace odd storylines and drug culture, and literally being underground DIY is I think a phrase thrown around a lot the last few years. Yeah. Um, punk rock. Um, and then maybe just literally my stature is, you know, it's great, but I'm not six feet tall. You know, I never have been. And you don't see a lot of, gosh, you know, maybe now you can count 10 minority promoters. Maybe, maybe you can count. I'm counting the Indies. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, and maybe you can count like five women and maybe like one is trans or two or you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. These degrees of, um, of like, oh, they can do it. Like, so can, so can we. Um, and I think what keeps this interesting though is we early on, like I used to, the reason we're called Hood Slam and not like Oakland Wrestling is I didn't want to be what wrestling was at the time. I wanted to be something different and like kind of fool people into liking wrestling um, because a lot of people are like, Ooh, wrestling. Like I don't watch that. Oh, this is hood slam. This is different. And then it's like, ah, I gotcha. You like wrestling now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. So our, we've never been in competition with the other indies in the area or WWE. Like I said, like we can't do those lights. We're going in a different direction. So our competition is ourselves. And like, for me, it's like, how do I, I don't want to tell the same good guy, bad guy story. No, it's fun and people like it. I want to do other stories, um, whether it be aliens or other dimensions or like time travel. Um, you know, like I always want to challenge myself, whether it goes well or not, just to do something different. And I think that people see that and it just gives us like, oh, like what happened this time? Like, oh, now like MVPs there getting high. Like that's also that magic stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, like Kendrick, Brian Kendrick's fighting a stuffed horse. Like you just have these things that we're like, oh, like you're not supposed to do that, and that sounds hard. 
And maybe like, you're like, oh, that'll suck. But it's like, no, like try hard to make it not suck because it can be good and we're very talented. So let's not just do what we know we're good at. Let's do things we don't know we're good at. Um, there's some quote, I don't know who to credit, so I'll just say I made it up. Um, art is where, oh, fuck. Um, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like where the, the artist's struggling against their limitations. Like, you know, like, this is my boundary. So you get to the boundary and try and push it. That's how you, like, find real art. Or like, in, for, like, gym people, like, you can lift the same weights every day, and it's great. But if you try and add more, that's how you get further, and you see yourself improve. You know, you add a couple pounds every time, and maybe you don't get it this time, but, like, your deadlift record goes up. Whatever the heck you do in there, you know, banging metal. Not for me. But, um, <laughs> like, that's kind of what I would liken it to. It's you struggling against yourself. And that struggle is where art is. No, I mean, it checks out. Mm. It, it really does. How, do... <laughs> <laughs> um, how does it make you feel to see other companies sort of reflect the either the attitude or the approach that hood slime has i know like because bizarro lucha i think has been described to me as sort of like a, a hood slam-esque environment in indiana in mm -hmm. some ways i know i know that you've you've been there you've, you've yeah. worked shows there before oh, i love it there it's amazing thumbs up i recommend it very much um yeah, yeah they as the name implies bizarro lucha i love it. it's like hood slam you know it's not wrestling it's something else that a mainstream audience can attach to and it's like ah like it was wrestling like it was me the whole time <laughs> <laughs> um i think they're great mm -hmm. um, but like how, how does it make you feel to see like those that that attitude and approach not like bizarro is, is definitely a good example but like just kind of mm -hmm. see like that sort of spread through a lot of the indies, especially the, some of the indie companies that are more focused on highlighting, you know, LGBTQ uh, talent in the ring, female talent, talent of color. You know, I, I know companies like we talked about Uncanny earlier. I know Primetime Pro Wrestling, they're big Very friends nice. of the show. Like they, they do a lot of stuff out in the DC area. And then you have a number of other companies like all over um, that, that do that as well. How, how does it make you feel to, like, to see other people sort of look to Hood Slam as an example? I love it. I think it's amazing. I think there was a time where it did irk me. Like I was bothered because here's people doing my format without me. And like, you know, maybe they get on TV and I don't, but they're doing my thing. But they just got seen first. But, you know, like my success is fine. And I'm, again, in competition with myself, not them. Um, it bothered me to see horror slam, joke slam, band slam, fuck me slam, you know? Like, it's, so you see everyone doing it, and they all, like, you know, they're having a party, and they're all just standing around the ring, and the lighting is the same. And Sometimes I look at the pictures, I'm like, is that my show? Like, oh, no, that's some other state. Um, but when I came to, maybe it's my way of making peace, things I can't control, is that, if this were uh, religion, like I'd be doing really well. Whether or not I get the credit for it, the fact that it's spreading and people are finding joy from it, that's what's more important than like, you know, uh, the messenger, it's the message. So I'd start it because I wasn't having fun in wrestling and I wanted it to be fun again. Now other people are able to have fun too. 
and like their friends can be on it and they're represented and there's nothing bad about that. Whether I ever be on the shows or see a dime, it's great. It bothers me sometimes when I see them be like, we're the first ones to ever do this. Or they're like, oh, you know, like Joey Ryan told me that he copied me, so it's cool. But it's like, right, but you told me that you copied me before Joey, like you didn't mention that in your tweet. <laughs> um, when I see those, I try to like, just swallow my pride and be happy about things. But yeah, like I'm a person and I'm a jerk sometimes and that bugs me. But overall, I'm happy that these people are doing things that gives them joy in wrestling like it does for me. And that's more important than like my trivial, you know, in between. Um, yeah, like I saw, we were streaming every week and I saw another company, they're doing great. I love the talent there. And I love the people in charge too. They're like, we're the only ones that stream every week. And I was like, well, you guys take months off. And like, we've been doing it. <laughs> like, whatever. And, and we did it for free. So like, yeah, I want to like get that credit. But if I, and I just like try to take it here and now. But if I don't, like, they're still having fun. And like, my friends are still wrestling. And it's good for wrestling either way. You see me like at war with myself right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, it's my ideal to be good, but like my want to be my ego, you know? They're, yeah. But I want the good part to win. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's always just finding the balance. Look, this is show business. You know, as much as I love doing good, I got in this for like, you know, because I wanted people to cry over me getting insecurity. <laughs> <laughs> Not for other well, people to be like, oh, that's a good sell. I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, I can assure you that there are plenty of people that would cry over your insecurity at this point across, like, across the, the country. Like, I, just, just your name comes up so much when talking to people, especially within our community, within the LGBTQ community, for the representation that you provide. You know, my partner is trans and like being able to show them because they're not huge wrestling fans but being able to show them wrestlers that reflect themselves in that way like is like i know like if i derive pleasure from from being able to do that and show that like this thing that i love actually listens to these voices there are plenty of other people out there that feel yeah. the same way so yeah i think there's plenty of people that would that would cry over you getting being insecure at this point <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. You know, that's that's the ego part. I, like I said, I want the other to win, but yeah, it's really nice to hear that. And I'm really happy that, you know, I never intended to be anything to anyone. I'm, I'm blown away by it, and I love that I can do it and be that. And, like, you know, I hope I don't mess it up. <laughs> Very grateful. No, but I'm really grateful to have that opportunity to make other people feel good about themselves. That's the best thing I could ever do. Mm-hmm. Um, that means a lot in ways I can't really word and that are still new to me, these feelings, but um, I don't take it lightly. And thank you for sharing and for no. saying. Yeah. Thank you for, for being dark chic. <laughs> you know, it's, it's what I'm best at. <laughs> Definitely. Well, um, Sheik, it's been a blast talking to you. This, this has been outstanding. Um, 
but before we get out of here, let everybody know where they can find you online and where they can check out everything that Hood Slam has going on, even during the hiatus right now. Yeah. Um, Hood Slam Twitch, Hood Slam YouTube, Hood Slam Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, the YouPorn account is someone else. We didn't make that. <laughs> and I just let it stay. I don't mind. Mm, no um, OnlyFans. Tony <laughs> Bone has an OnlyFans. You can look that up. He's got nice abs and like well manicured pubes. I haven't seen the rest. Um, but for me, at Dark Chic FTF on like most social medias, um, you know, don't follow me. I'm awful. But you can <laughs> support Hood Slam and other performers by buying merchandise. This sweet Hood Slam baseball tee, three quarter sleeve, pretty nice. I have some butt stuff T-shirts if you want those. Um, I want to start making cat farts. Like, that's like my new, you know what, I'm not, I'll show you that later. That's going to be my new hot item. Um, but yeah, if you email me, I'll send you stuff. Or you can just Venmo me money at Dark Chic. I like Hood Slam at PayPal. That's fine too if you want to support because I don't have a job anymore. But I will say that like, hey man, you know, I'm, I'm not struggling. I'm not starving. I might be someday, but right now, uh, if someone else is like in more need, you know, you can get me second or third. I'm okay with that. I don't need to be uh, first priority in, in financial support right now. Um, I hope I don't regret saying this, but I feel like pretty good about saying it right now. Oh yeah, and we're doing videos on the YouTube, the Twitch, uh, IWTV is something. Ah, yeah. I hear it's pretty popular. <laughs> You know, like the kids these days. I don't know. I have my VHS collection still. <laughs> Watching All Japan, like Giant Grand 99 or something. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. I'm watching that stuff. I was trying to look up Super Crazy Tajiri matches the other day without the network. It was hard, but I have the VHSs still. Anyway, um, yeah. And there's content there. There's our website, birdsfall.com. You can find me a lot of places. I'm going to be on Zweihander, Twitch. Um, tabletop something D and D style. I did see like you were doing that with with Sophie King and Shug D. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I love that because uh, I don't know Sophie and like Walter even that well, but like Shug, I've known forever. Not for I've known him for like since 2013 and admired his work since before then. So we've been friends and like you know it's every few years we get to like cross paths. But it's always love. He won't be on the next episode. Ah. Uh. <laughs> well, he's great <laughs> he had that match with Jericho and now he's big uh, time and everybody right pineapple Pete yo hey <laughs> I love it I support it. it's just so nice that there's still these happy stories these underdog stories are still happening you know we're talking about it's not in wrestling pineapple Pete though yes thank you beauty well she thank you so much for coming on the show and I think there's only one way really to to fittingly end this um fuck the fans fuck the fans you know they're <laughs> sweet hard mind however they want it Hood slam is here thank you for having me and like i don't know i'd do it again if people ever want to see me again i'll come back oh definitely all right yes i was just kidding a little bit there with the with the reference to, to shug d uh or pineapple pete rather um, doesn't it like I think I 
and right along the lines with Dark Sheik, that's a dude who has been killing it for years now. I remember watching him back when I lived in Atlanta um, in Platinum Championship Wrestling. <laughs> um, back when they ran shows at the Masquerade. And, um, yeah, I'm, that's a guy that I am so happy to see get his moment to shine uh, against Chris Jericho last week and whatever else is on the horizon for Pineapple Pete. Um, so don't mistake the dig. Um, I totally dig Pineapple Pete. Um, but thank you once again to Dark Sheik for for coming on the show. Um, just outstanding conversation there. Um, a lot that I personally took away from uh, from that. Follow her on Twitter at DarkSheikFTF. Follow Hoodslam at Hoodslam. Um, just never you never be disappointed by what they have going on and and even during the pandemic here they're putting out stuff on a somewhat regular basis you know a lot of their stuff um you know hoodslam.tv on their Twitch channel their YouTube channel like it's all it's got all of the stuff they've been doing and and it's the uh the right mix of uh of zany and sentiment i think along with some some wrestling mixed in there um, it's just, it's just really, really engaging and really fun. And, you know, whenever we can't have live independent events right now, um, it's a good alternative for the moment, but, um, hopefully we'll see, maybe we'll see if, uh, the independent scene can get revved back up here in the next few months or if, uh, Sheik's prognosis rings true and we don't really see things get back to any form of quote-unquote normalcy by 2021. Either way, we'll be here to cover it all. And um, that keeps going next week because while the independents aren't running, um, the two big boys in America are in WWE and AEW. And this coming Saturday is the next AEW pay-per-view, Double or Nothing. Uh, Their first one since the pandemic hit. And we will be here to cover it um, in full next week here on LGBT in the Ring. Um, but until then, um, we must bid you adieu. Um, but we can't get out of here before we say some thank yous to some awesome people that help this show be as awesome as it can be. First off, the Progress Pride flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at Quasar.digital. And of course, thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666. That's off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSWBand. You can check out their music on Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahandthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. You can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. And, of course, if you're into video games, I host a video game news podcast every Monday night. It's called, it's called the Mr. Video Game Super Show. That goes live every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. That's S-U-N, not S-O-N, Dead Sun Entertainment. Um, it's myself and two of my close friends who are also Twitch streamers, uh, Slacker Kite and Lady Merowin, and we unpack the week's news, and it's usually a good 
90 minutes to two hours of um, analysis, ridiculousness, and all-around fun. It's just a big community of people getting together to talk about games. And uh, it's always, it, it's, I like it. But I guess I have to like it. I don't have to like it. I like it, though. It's fun. <laughs> I keep doing it. And I enjoy every second of it. Um, but that's going to do it for us here this week at LGBT in the Ring. Thank you so much for downloading. Do not forget to come back here to the Outsports Podcast Network tomorrow for Ken Schultz's Three Strikes You're Out. Uh, one of the best baseball podcasts that we that is going right now. I always enjoy listening to Ken and all of his guests are top notch and I'm not just saying that because I was a guest on the show a few months back. Um, but um, I guess we'll leave you with this as we always do. Uh, y'all stay messy. Wash your hands. And we'll see you next week. Bye. She made a deal with the demon so her lover could live Where the moon is high and the devil is shot instead